What do you put your faith in? Well, if you drive across a bridge, you put your faith in the people who built the bridge and your faith in the inspectors who inspected the bridge. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are studying the Bible, looking at that, and it is fascinating. Now today, Corey is here with Ryan, and uh, what are you guys doing? I'm going to be taking a look at the Israelite-Moabite war described in 2 Kings chapter 3. Ryan? Well, today my segment's all about 2 Kings chapter 2, where Elisha heals the waters of Jericho. All right, that, those are going to be very interesting reports coming up in about 20 minutes' time. Look forward to that. What did you do, Jan? Today's our fun Friday wrap-up, and I can ask a question anywhere from 1 Kings chapter 4 all the way to 2 Kings chapter 4. Hope you're ready. All right, get your Bible out and your Bible guide. Let's study the Word of God, and let's listen to what God has said to us for this day. Second Kings 4, verses 1 through 7. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go. Sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Second Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Second Kings chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. This is our reading today as we go through the Bible. That's God's wonderful word. The 66 books written by the 40 authors over 1,500 years, all with the same theme. You know, faith is an amazing thing. It is. It is. Who or what we have faith in tells us a lot about ourselves. You see, when people drive over a bridge, they put their faith in the people who designed and built the bridge, that it won't fall. When we ride in an elevator, we put our faith in action, believing with confidence that the designers, the builders, and the inspectors all did their jobs well. When we live our lives in accordance with the Word of God, we are putting our faith in God. Now, this sets us up for God to move in our lives. Now, 
it's not easy, always as easy to put our faith in God as it is to drive over a bridge or get into an elevator, but we must trust in God to help us deal with the problems and the successes of our daily lives. Yes, I said successes. You see, this can seem a bit backwards to us because our culture teaches us to put our faith in ourselves. We have become people who value individualism over most things. And it's expressed in how we practice medicine, deal with crime, and handle everyday experiences. Today, we read about a woman who had nothing except God to help her and calls on the Lord and actually is required to put her faith in God. I find that absolutely fascinating. Now get your Bible guide and turn to today's uh, passage. If you don't have one, we can help you get one. Call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, click on the page and it'll take you to a donate page. And let me just say thank you for the people during this time who have stayed faithful and committed to the word of God. That is giving so that we can continue teaching the word of God. That's very important. And our family thanks you very much as we continue to go through the Bible. And we will not stop. God will help us. So, Father, thank you for that. But as we look at that, we're going to discover the reach of faith. The reach of faith. We're looking at 2 Kings chapter 4. Father, help us today as we reach out and learn what your book of faith says. So we can begin to live our lives full of faith and not fear. Help us, Lord, especially today, especially right now, in the time when there is a good reason for us all to be afraid, there is a better reason for us all to live in faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So we're going to read from your Bible, not into it, but from it, that it would change us. Help us today as we explore this story in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen. Now, as we look at the scripture, we go to 2 Kings. This is an amazing passage, and let's take a look at it. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. Now, that's interesting. So she was a wife of the sons of the prophets. Cried out to Elijah, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Now, I find this amazing. See, this is what we learn. The woman was set up to lose. God will take care of us no matter what or no matter how difficult our circumstances are. I want you to notice that this woman is the wife of somebody who believed in God. Somebody who knew and spoke the words of God. He was a prophet. And she set up to lose, and I'm sure the enemy was ready to just take her down because he's taken down everything this prophet spoke against me. And, but God knew what was going on. So this gets interesting. Now let's go back to the scripture and read what it says next. Elisha hears this. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 2 says, So Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what do I or do you have in your house? And she said, your, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And then he said, go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. 
empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons with you. Then pour it into all of those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went out from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her sons, bring quick, bring me more, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. this, This is amazing. Okay. The woman did what Elisha told her and trusted the Lord. Trusted. She trusted the Lord. Faith requires us to trust in God. Beloved, listen carefully. It doesn't make sense for a woman to gather a bunch of empty vessels and take one vessel that has a little bit of oil in it and pour it in because the oil is going to run out. But the oil didn't run out. God provides a miracle for her. This is one of those miracles that you see, and it's absolutely stunning. And when he does that, suddenly you can see that God is providing for her in a unique way. And that's how God provides for us, beloved. That's how he does it today. Now, look at the last verse here. It says in verse 7, Then she came, and she told the man of God, and he said, Okay, go and sell the oil and pay off your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest of it. That's amazing. Elisha instructed the woman how to live on her faith. Beloved, we know how to have faith at some point, but how do we live on faith? You see, God desires and teaches us to live in faith of him. We are taught to live in faith to the Lord. Now, I often say, and you probably heard me say it before, I try to live a a life full of faith and not full of fear. Now, you know and I know that everybody has fear. I mean, there's wars and everything going on and you could have fear of this and fear of that and here the last three years have been nothing but fear but let me explain something when fear comes and god told his disciples fear not so many times when fear comes that's when we turn ourselves to jesus christ no man or no situation and we say lord only you only you can help me and so father today we pray In the name of Jesus Christ, only you can help us today. There are people who need to have a miracle of God. And Father, I I pray that we wouldn't get obsessed with having the miracle broadcast or anything like that. The miracles, and many of them are what we would call small miracles. There is no small miracle, but we would call it that. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us your way and show us your path. That's what we mean. When we say that, Lord, teach us your ways and show us your paths. In the name of Jesus Christ, this is what we ask for everybody watching and for myself today. Amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you wanna watch us, 
we're there. Get a hold of it, watch us anytime you want to. So 2 Kings chapter 3 records a, a war, a several battles that go on between Israel and Moab. So we have a new king ascend to the throne of Israel, and Moab uses this opportunity to rebel against Israel because Israel had conquered their territory earlier. So in this time of transition, uh, the Moabites see an opportunity to get their independence back. Now, what's really interesting about this chapter and about this scenario that the Bible paints for us is that archaeology has actually revealed a, a stella, a, a large monumental stone that records from the Moabites' point of view this situation. Take a look. The Moabite stone is the longest ancient monumental inscription ever to be found in Israel. It was commissioned by Mesha, king of Moab, who is featured as a key opponent of Israel in 2 Kings 3. And though written by this enemy king, his inscription confirms many of the Bible's historical details. It confirms that Mesha was the king of Moab who was subjected to forced vassal status by Omri, king of Israel. This oppression lasted 40 years until the reign of Omri's descendant when Mesha rebelled, refused using to pay his annual tribute. The stone confirms Moab's chief god was named Chemosh and identifies Israel's god with his proper biblical name. It confirms the territory of the Israelite tribe of Gad and calls the kings of Judah the house of David, making it the second extra biblical mention of King David and his bloodline of kings. The stone also adds additional information that's helpful to biblical studies, that Mesha was able to launch a successful retaliation campaign and that there was a city in sanctuary dedicated to Yahweh at Mount Nebo, the site where Moses had observed the promised land before his death. With all of these and more additions to biblical knowledge, the Moabite stone also has a very dramatic discovery story. It was brought to the attention of a Christian medical missionary in the mid-1800s. His mission earned him safe welcome passage through otherwise hostile Bedouin-controlled territory, where he learned of an ancient stone lying in the open ruins of the biblical city of Dibon. He made a sketch, took some notes, and had a verbal agreement to purchase the stone. But the situation quickly deteriorated after news began to spread. Governments and other parties got involved, eventually creating tensions so great that the Bedouins heated the stone to white-hot temperatures and poured cold water on it to shatter it. Then they distributed the pieces among themselves. Altogether, 57 pieces of the stone were bought and acquired by scholars and given to the Louvre, representing about two-thirds of the original. These, paired with a paper copy that was made of the stone before its destruction, allowed for reconstruction, which is available to visit and admire even today. So the Moabite stone, or the Mesha Stella, is very important for uh, you know students of the Bible to be aware about because it does several things. It lets us know the other side of the issue when we're talking about this war, but it also has the added benefit, like we talked about, of actually naming a few kings of Israel. Uh, and it even refers to, it's now known that it refers to the house of David, meaning the dynasty of David that is, is you know, running the kingdom of Judah from the city of Jerusalem. So really important biblical connotations with this particular artifact. And you know, what, one of the interesting things about this is we need, well, let me just say this. 
we need to understand that the Bible speaks to us from the Old Testament. So mm -hmm. we're, we're not talking as if it were today, but we're talking as if it were the time uh, when you dealt with enemies that way and, and all of that. And mm -hmm. I, I find that fascinating because here we see sin have its effect. And mm -hmm. uh, when sin has its effect, a lot of times war results. And that becomes a problem because you just don't know. Now, Jesus Christ comes in, God comes into his people, and he confronts sin. Now, the question is, why do we still war? This is a big question, but I'm going to ask you, so why do we still war, Corey? There are a lot of different reasons for it. I mean, when you you can talk about wars of defense when you're defending your territory and you're defending your border. Uh, uh, but I mean, probably the answer that you're looking for and fishing for is ultimately sin and, and human nature because the we can't achieve world peace because we are inherently, the Christian belief is that we are inherently unpeaceful creatures right now. We don't, we are incapable of living uh, without sin or without being tarnished by evil. Uh, um, and that's why we need the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. You know, when God comes and he He lives in our lives, it doesn't mean that it's easy to forgive and it doesn't mean that it comes it's not going to feel natural to us to reconcile with other people and to be peacemakers, but that's what we are called to be according to the New Testament of the Bible. You know, that's, that is a huge mission uh, for us. Um, so my question then is answered in that it's sin, and that makes sense then that Jesus Christ, fully Son of God and fully man, died on the cross, we killed him, for our sin, but then he rose again mm -hmm. in the flesh to overcome the sin. So he gives us the gift of eternal life. And so that's the that's the real interesting thing. So we mm -hmm. see the Bible, the word of God telling us this story from that point of view. That's fascinating. Yeah, and I think it's important like to mention that, you know, we can, we're not going to achieve perfect peace here, but there can be significant change. And that change comes as God changes individual hearts and then cultures and then societies. So But a culture is changed by an individual heart first. Yeah. Right. So That's the what she's saying. the mm -hmm. individual has to come to the knowledge of Christ before the culture arrives at the knowledge and of Christ. And unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately I've had to come to the personal realization that the individual change has to start with me because there's a lot of people where I'm like, you know, I I think that I can just I think that you should individually change and then we'd get along better, but it's it goes both ways. I can't control that other person. I can only control Very good. Excellent. That's excellent. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, today my report is actually on 2 Kings chapter 2, which is all about how the prophet Elisha heals the waters of Jericho through the power of God. And it was shortly after Elijah was taken up to heaven that the people of Jericho came to Elisha and told them that although it was a pleasant city, there was barrenness in the land because of the bad water. Now, we are going to break this down into two parts, and in part one today, we're going to be focused on just what exactly this barrenness was referring to. So, let's go. Shortly after the prophet Elijah was caught up to heaven, his successor Elisha was called upon by the men of Jericho to solve a crisis situation. Please notice, they said, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. 
and Elisha said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. It is noteworthy that by all outward appearances Jericho was a pleasant place to live, yet inwardly there was barrenness due to the water being bad. Just what it was exactly that made the water bad isn't known, but some scholars have suggested that the water contained certain mineral deposits which hindered growth or fruitfulness, so that things grew but before they produced fruit, the fruit would drop off or the plants would wither. Of course, it's also possible that this barrenness had more to do with human life than it did with plant life. As a matter of fact, a recent study of the region apparently showed that certain springs in the area have contacted radioactive strata, and so it has been suggested that combining these substances with the water had polluted it in such a way as to cause sterility or miscarriage. If this indeed was a barrenness of the womb rather than of the produce, it wouldn't be all that surprising, because after Jericho was destroyed in Joshua's conquest, a divine curse was placed upon anyone who would dare to rebuild the city, a curse involving the loss of their sons. So this barrenness could very well have been a continuation of that curse. Either way, what took place that day with Elisha was nothing short of a miracle of God, since one vessel full of salt would have little physical effect on so much water. It was God Almighty, whom Jeremiah calls the fountain of living waters, who conquered the death and barrenness of Jericho. So we see from this passage in 2 Kings 2 that there were clearly physical problems happening in Jericho. And as I mentioned in the segment, this may have been a continuation of the divine curse placed upon anyone who dared to rebuild the city back during Joshua's conquest. But the people did the right thing. They sought the Lord for help. And he, of course, delivered. And what once was lifeless was brought back to life. And on the next program, which is Monday, I want to talk about this event again, but from a spiritual and theological perspective, because there is a greater spiritual reality going on here. You know, that's really interesting. And these reports begin the discussion in our hearts. And if people have questions in their mind, my, my suggestion would be that's good because we need to think about the questions. It's part of meditation on the scripture and to learn what Jesus Christ, what God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has done. Absolutely. Well, there's a whole study on salt by itself. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, you could write a whole the, book on there salt. There is. There's so, the salt covenant. There's yeah. the salt. I mean, there's tons of stuff. It's very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Corey, what did you do for the weekend? All right, so my husband and I do a chapter-by-chapter -chapter recap of all of Bible Discovery's assigned reading for each week, and we release that video every Saturday morning on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corey Babechko. So if you've fallen behind on your reading, uh, watch the recap. We'll get you caught back up so that you don't feel like you're constantly behind. Yeah, I really think that's important, and also let me say that Thank you so much for your donations. They are important. And when we are consistent to give to God's the teaching and the work around God's word, God honors us and God blesses us accordingly. That's the scripture. And that's what we believe. So we want to encourage people who've given. So thank you, partners. If you've given, we really appreciate that. It's really important. Now, today we have the question. We do, but before that, I want to give a shout out to my dear friend, Roberta, or Bobby, because today is her birthday. Oh, so happy birthday, Bobby. We love you very much. And uh, so 
maybe we could dedicate this question to Bobby. Now, it, sure. it, it it's not really an easy question mm. if you don't oh, have good. your Bible out in front of you. And I could pick anywhere from 1 Kings chapter Close 4 to 2 Kings we chapter 4. No, love. it's not one of those you can, you can go to it quickly. Because I had to answer it all through my time of doing the Bible IQ question oh, with the closed Bible. Sounds like we're going to have to get the no whining I, I, sign I yeah. may have to get the no whining. It's actually a plaque now, oh, Brian. Wow. We've graduated I've upgraded to a, yes, an upgraded no whining plaque. <laughs> but um, I, I may have asked you this in years gone by. It may have possibly. been shimmied that plaque. It really, really. <laughs> anyway, here's the question. How many proverbs and how many songs did Solomon compose? Oh, no. Here's your <laughs> first <lot>. answer. <laughs> 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs. Your second choice is 2,500 proverbs and 2,000 songs. Or answer number three, 1,000 proverbs and 3,000 songs. Now, I'll let you think about that, and I'm going to say them again so that you at home have an extra couple of minutes to decide on yours. So how many songs and how many proverbs did Solomon compose? 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs, 2,500 proverbs and 2,000 songs, or 1,000 proverbs and 3,000 songs. What do you think? I didn't help have you. you. Okay, have well, you come to an, an agreement. We, we don't really know for sure. Mm -hmm. We're going to make an educated guess. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's fair. We're going to go with A. Because proverbs are much shorter than songs. Mm. So I think he wrote more proverbs than songs. And I know he wrote multiple thousands of them. So that one. You're going to go with that one. Yeah. Well, Bobby, I'm not sure what you answered, but. If you and the rest of you are watching, agreed with Ryan and Corey, you are 100% nice. right. He wrote <laughs> 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs. You can read that to make sure that I'm doing this question the right answer. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. Happy birthday, Bobby. Boy, I really enjoy Monday, Wednesday, and Friday when we get a chance to pray for you live on Facebook and YouTube, and we want to encourage you to join us. And uh, I would encourage you just to stop by and see us and we'll pray live. It's very, very important. 3.30 to 4.30. Today, we need to pray. And as we pray, let's focus this way and say, Lord, help me to learn faith in you. In the name of Jesus Christ. And again, we said together, amen.